Hello, testing, great. Uh, once again, Merry Christmas. A uh, special welcome, uh, particularly to those of us here who are visiting us today. Uh, it's great that you, we can be together uh, worshipping and celebrating um, the birth of our Lord Jesus, our Saviour. Well, the question I want to ask us today is, how do we know that God loves us? Right? We've all been told that, right? We've all been told that God loves us, right? Uh, if you grew up in church, uh, we've been told that again and again every Sunday at Sunday school. Uh, but even if you're not someone who grew up at church, my guess is that you've probably been told by someone that God loves you, right? Maybe uh, you might have thought, you know, I feel like there should be someone up there looking over me, right? Maybe he cares. Uh, but the thing is, how would you even know if God loves you or cares about you? Is that even a thing, right? Uh, God, you might be thinking if you're, if you're not a, um, someone who goes to church, if he even exists, you know, is God someone who even has emotions? He's so much more out there. He's so different, right? Is he more like the force in Star Wars, some sort of spiritual thing that is all-pervasive, but it's not personal. It's not someone or something that we can relate to. But even for those of us who are, have grown up in church, God might still seem so far away, right? Um, doesn't it feel like we're, we're still down here, right? Um, God's out there somewhere. God's love is more, more of a theological concept, rather than something that we can really put our hands on. It's not tangible for us. Well, Christmas is a time of showing us that God's love isn't just a concept. Christmas is a time where we can actually know, we can actually touch and feel God's love for us. Because on the first Christmas, on that night when Jesus was born, we are told that in this baby Jesus... God is with us. And so let's consider this claim of the Bible by looking at how the Bible talks about Jesus' birth. Uh, we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. Oops, sorry, not from 18 to 25. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after the, he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And right away, our, our modern sensitivities are, are ringing with alarm bells right now, right? What do you mean, born of a virgin? That's scientifically, that's biologically impossible, 
right? An angel appears to Joseph. Isn't that a bit far-fetched? And what do you mean he's our saviour? I don't need saving from anyone. I'm doing just fine by myself. Thank you very much. Now, if you're thinking all of this, then that's totally understandable, isn't it? It's not like we see this sort of thing happening every single day, right? We don't even see it sometimes during our lifetime. But hear me out, because I think if the Bible's claims are true, right? If it is true that God came down into this person, a baby, then I think these things actually must happen if we are to believe that. Because if I told you the God of the universe, the God who made you, who made me, if I told you that this God was to suddenly appear to us to enter our world, would you actually be convinced if I told you that he did so in a totally normal way, right? That some random guy married a random girl, they had a baby just like everyone else, and they said, this is God, right? That there was no other spiritual, no other supernatural validation to prove, to show that this baby is indeed God coming in the flesh. No one would bother to listen to that, right? You can't make a claim like this without some sort of extraordinary thing happen to back that up. And so if it is true that God came to us in person, then of course it makes sense that God came this way. But if you say, okay, Okay, let's just say for a moment, I, I, I believe you. Let's just say that God did come to us in this baby Jesus, and so what? Who cares, right? So let's think about what our passage today tells us about this baby. Uh, first, Jesus is called the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for the Greek translation, Christ, right? And this is a word that simply means king. It's a title, right? So Jesus Christ isn't someone called Mr. Christ. He's not his last name. But Christ means Jesus is the king. The king, not just over Israel, right? That little small piece of land in the Middle East. But God, being the creator of all of us, makes Jesus king over everyone and everything. And I know, again, you might be thinking, oh, that's not really an idea I'm comfortable with. Do I really want another king over me? Right? We pride ourselves in electing our own leaders right? We only allow them to serve a maximum of two terms, lest they get, you know, a bit big-headed, right? We who only agree to have a royal family if they don't actually do anything over us to impact our lives, right? But that's the sort of world that we're, we're comfortable with. Why would we want Jesus to be king over us? Well, I guess my guess is that we actually do want a king over us, but not just any king, right? Not a typical king that we see all the time because we don't want yet another authoritarian ruler. We don't want just another ruler who only serves themselves at the cost of those under them. We don't want another ruler who rules harshly, who is full of corruption, who is full of injustice. But don't we actually want a ruler who can actually bring about reforms that do away with evil and injustice? A leader who makes wise and just decisions. A leader who, with their power, right, with their true power, makes decisions and leads us in a way that is truly best for his people, for his kingdom. A good leader who actually has power, right? Actual power and authority who isn't just bogged down by bureaucracy. 
But also, the most important part, don't we want a leader who is good, but who isn't subjected to being corrupted by the power that power brings that we've seen so often? Don't we want that? And if you think, that is impossible. There is no one good enough to be that king. Well, what if God was that king? Wouldn't he be the only one capable of living up to all those things? But there's something else in our passage that points to why this king is such a good thing for us. This baby, who will be called king, is also called Jesus. Jesus, the name Jesus means God saves. And the reasons we're told is that Jesus will save his people, you and I, from our sins. Now, I know Easter is still a few months away, but we really can't talk about the birth of a saviour without at least mentioning in brief how he saves us. Because this Jesus isn't someone who just waves his magical wand up there to make all our troubles go away. But in a couple of months' time, we celebrate because this rescuer, this saviour from God, would actually rescue us by laying his own life down for us. Jesus goes to die on a cross so that we might be spared of something far worse than simply dying on a cross. But all this is to say, how do we know that this baby Jesus is a king worth following? Well, we know that this king is worth following because he lays down his life for us. This is a king that rescues us rather than using his power to exploit us. But it's the final detail of this passage today that I really want to bring our attention to this morning. Because Jesus is actually given a second name here, a name that isn't quite as well known as the name Jesus. And that name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. A name that means God with us. Now, if you think about it, it's a rather odd thing to assign to God, isn't it? Because if you were to say, look, the God of the universe was going to appoint someone to rule over us in justice, then yeah, that person would be king, Christ, Messiah. And yeah, that, that just king would be the one who saves us, sure. But that same king is that God himself would come to us in person. Why is that even a thing? Why is that necessary, right? God's been ruling over us up there in heaven, fine for millennia, right? You can imagine if God was all-powerful, he can do everything just by snapping his fingers. He doesn't need to come down. Why does God need to come down as a baby to become one of us? Now, if you're a parent amongst us, then I'm sure you would have been sick and tired, perhaps, of hearing the theme song of this show. Uh, And I've heard that even among people who don't have kids, Bluey is also one of their favorite shows as well, right? This show somehow managed, manages to bring all these real-world parenting nightmares into the show in such a relatable and hilarious way. The show manages to teach our growing young kids important life principles, and all the while keeping them entertained as well. Uh, but for me, the one aspect of Bluey that I really love is how this show models what a present, loving parent ought to be like. Uh, As someone who grew up with my dad in Hong Kong, 95% of the time, I only saw him once a year. My mom was too busy being a, um, a, a pretty much 
a single mom, practically speaking, right? Keeping my sister and I alive, cooking food, doing housework, taking us to tuition and all that. I never really experienced what it was like to have a parent who was actually there. And what I mean by, she was there physically, right? But down to my level, right? And now, I really don't want to underplay all the effort and hard work that my mom and my dad put in to provide for us and all the sacrifices they made to make sure that I had a future. That's all true. I'm really grateful for that. But for me, as I am a parent now, Watching Bluey reminds me of something. (laughs) The show Bluey reminds me that actually what my kids need most isn't simply that I pay the bills. It's not that I simply put food on the table to keep them alive. It's not just making sure that they have access to the most opportunities for their future even, right? Filling their schedules with tuition and extracurricular activities as good as that might be. It's not just about me being on my iPhone or iPad, being in the room physically, and only entering into their world, into their conversations to break up a fight or to discipline them, right? In Bluey, we see what a model of a good, loving, present dad looks like. When Bandit and Chili, the the mum and the dad of the family, when they get down to Bluey and Bingo's level to play, right? They fully enter their world. Parents who sort of shed off their adultness, their sensibleness, and just has fun with the kids, making silly noises with them, rolls around on the floor in the garden. They're not caring about the mess that they have to clean up later on. They are present with their kids, even when they have more important adult things to attend to, even when child's play seems so boring and unengaging. And at a certain level, I think this is a little taste of what the kind of love that God shows us at Christmas. Because at Christmas, God shows us that not only is he there, right? Because God is, you know, if we've been in Sunday school, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere already anyway, right? He's present. But God not only just cares from us from that surface level, providing for our needs, giving us promises um, towards us, his people, and so on. But God comes down to our level. Think about that. The eternal God. The God who sits outside of time, right? The God without beginning, without end. The God who is in all and through all. Our God is in all places, not confined by our three dimensions of space. God enters into our limited space-time at a particular point in history, a real point in history. This is what I really want us to take away this Christmas. We celebrate Christmas today. We have celebrated Christmas for over 2,000 years because God entered into our world. He came down to our level. Not just spiritually, not just calling in from a distance. He doesn't just speak from another cloud, performs a bunch of disembodied miracles. That's good. That's great, right? That would be awesome if God did that, and that was it, but God does more. God came into our world as a human, as a baby even. Imagine that. He grew up. He experienced what it was like to grow up just like we did. God enters into our world and experiences. He he goes through the muck of life just like any one of us. Just think about that. If we were there 
2,000 years ago, we could have seen a baby Jesus, God in the flesh, lying in a manger. We could have reached out and touched his fuzzy hair. Can you imagine that? That's God. God did that. And so this is what I want to leave you with today. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that God is with you today? Come. Come and look at the baby lying in the feeding trough, born of a virgin, born of God's spirit, the one who has come to save us and to bring God's love to us in person. Merry Christmas, everyone.